Welcome again to River Tree. So glad you're here this morning. And thanks for helping us out just through the course of the morning, uh, not only just participating in worship, but that short survey uh, that you guys were able to do just a minute ago is super helpful for us as we begin to think through just what it means to organizationally get ready for a new campus and how God might be leading you and already uh, you're beginning to pray and think about what that means for us as we worship and serve uh, within the community here at River Tree, either at the Cove campus or at the downtown campus. And so there are organizational things that, that we're being sensitive to as we begin to think about how people are moving and shifting and uh, where opportunities of service will continue to show themselves and how to begin uh, to make those campuses just uh, continue uh, to be part of what we do on Sunday mornings, people worship and serve and hear God's word together. I want to give you another way to connect to with what's happening and what we'll be talking about over the next few months, especially as the downtown campus gets closer. Uh, each person today uh, in the chair that you're sitting in had a prayer card in it. And we just encourage you to take that with you. Uh, we're going to be offering those out every few weeks. Uh, they're going to change uh, connected to a River Tree's core values. And the card that you have today is believing that people matter, uh, one of our core values. And so as we talk about image bearing and believing uh, this kind of derived and inherent worth that each person has created in the image of God, uh, it's just a way for you to go home, uh, put it on the refrigerator, uh, keep it in your car, it in your Bible and just be aware of uh, ways that you can pray and we can just continue to do that as a body as we get ready for this opportunity with the new campus. So there's just lots of ways to participate. Uh, don't hesitate to stop by the table uh, in the lobby or if you're at the South Campus in the back of the cafeteria. Uh, grab a survey if you weren't able to do that today. Uh, pick up a t-shirt. Uh, we want you to have a chance to uh, be part of the excitement uh, and, and be again prayerful and, and engaged as we think about this really amazing opportunity that we have moving forward. Uh, because we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, this image-bearing series is a, just a step out of that. And really, for the next couple more weeks, we're going to continue to develop the idea of what it means to be an image-bearer. And I believe there's some things that are important in this series that, again, help us think about why we would even go to a downtown campus. Why would we open up another campus and begin to reach people in a different way? And, and as you think about the things that we're doing and places that we're going and lists that we're making, what's underneath that, critical to that, more important is who we're becoming. And so this idea of image bearing is going to bring that out, I hope. And last couple weeks, we've been working through this idea of what it means to be created in the image of God. God said that. And that early within the story, he said, let us make mankind in our image. And so in his likeness, he created them, male and female. And because we've been created, both men and women, humanity created in the image of God, there is a, a worth that we have. In our very design, we were made to resemble God uniquely against all other creation. We were made to resemble him, reflect his glory. And because of that, there's a worth and a value that each person has. And last week, we looked at this idea of the process that God is going through to refashion us and to remake us into image bearers, that some of that image was lost, that it was marred and obscured through, uh, through sin, through the fall. And what happened through that is that we determined that our own significance, our own glory, our own purposes uh, were most important. And so what the Bible begins to talk about in this great redemptive work that God is doing from one side of the Bible to the other, from cover to cover is this, that he is remaking mankind into 
the image of God again. He's refashioning us, shaping us to reflect his glory. And really, it's a way of thinking about salvation, that you and I are saved when our lives are reoriented back towards God to reflect his glory. And when we do that, when we are reoriented back to God, what happens is, is we gain a new orientation towards others and a new orientation towards ourself. And we find life in this design. We find, we find new significance, new, new worth, new purpose within this design in which God originally intended for you and I to bear his image. And so the redemptive story is this, God's intentionality from the very beginning to see you restored. Last week we talked about this process, that it is a divine process. It's, it's distinctly and uniquely divine that God is at work in this process, that God has committed himself, it says in Philippians, that he will complete this work, that he is, we can be confident in that, that those that God foreknew that would love him, he is predestined that their lives be conformed. That says in Romans chapter eight, we understand that there's this work that God is going to do. And from the foundations of the world, he had you in mind. And from that point forward, he has been completely committed up to this, including the sacrifice of his own son, that you would bear his image, that you would be restored, that you would kind of display the splendor and the glory of God again. Like that's, that's this great work of God. And so we're using this idea of image bearing, kind of moving through it again to talk about the worth of each person as image bearers and the the process of what it is to be reshaped and reformed into the image of God again. And last week we talked about how this process is distinctly God's. This week I want to talk about, well, what's our part? Like if God is busy about restoring you, if God wants you to bear his image, if God is completely sold out to this, committed to this, is there a part that you play So I want to look at that today. I want to explore that with you. If you have your Bible, Isaiah chapter 61 is one I want to look at first. Verse 3. It says this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now what, what God is giving us a picture in this Isaiah chapter 61 are people who are in need of God's grace. And over time, what happens is people who've been receiving the grace of God end up deepening their roots, this picture of an oak displaying righteousness, and they become people over time that kind of grow up into people who are rebuilding things, who are restoring things, who are blessing people that are in ruin. There's this change that happens, this work of God, as we become kind of a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, one One Christian thinker said this, that it takes a long time to become who we are. I'll give you an illustration. Just pick your favorite sports team. And and you join that team. Let's just say it's Auburn. They're still winning games right now. So you show up at Auburn. you, You walk on campus. First day of practice, you're given a jersey with your name on the back and your number on it. Now, the the truth, the reality is you're on the team, but it hasn't necessarily, just because you've received the jersey, just because your name is on the back, doesn't necessarily mean that you're skilled and useful to the team yet, that there's a process that goes onward to kind of 
cultivate, that, that the truth is you're on the team. The truth is in God's economy, there are things about you that happen at the moment of conversion, that you are his, that you're one of his children, that you are righteous, that you are chosen. This new identity begins to form within you, that you are one who God deeply loves and you have a position within the family of God as a son and daughter of righteousness. But these are things that you grow up into as well. These things are true, but these are things that God allows us to become more and more of. And this is what this image of Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 is, is that you and I will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display the splendor of God. And you get this picture, it starts small, right? An, an oak tree. And as it grows, it, it becomes more and more kind of this display of what God wants it to be. So how do we grow? Uh, That's the question. If we're a tree that God plants, if we're a tree that God tends, if he facilitates the growth, what's our part in the process? That's the question. How do we grow up into all of these things that God says about us? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13 is this beautiful verse, and it, it gives us this relationship between God's part in this work of becoming, God's part in this work of imaging and re imaging, and our part. Let me show you this. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There it is. All right. The relationship, your part, work out your salvation. God's part, for it is God who works in you. Both of those things we see in this passage. Paul's connecting both of these ideas. This is the relationship. The verse gives insight into your part and our part. Our part is this, that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, what does that mean? Because that sounds rough. There's fear, there's trembling. What is is Paul trying to help us understand? Uh, Let me offer you uh, the message version too to just kind of give us a little bit more kind of insight nuance these words of fear and trembling a little bit. And the message version says this of Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. So here's what we begin to see, this idea of kind of fear and trembling. We add to that this, this, uh, to be reverent and to be sensitive. And so I want to I keep kind of fleshing this out, kind of adding some layers to this idea of what our part in the process is. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He said that God is at work in you. God is work in you to give you the desire and to give you the ability to accomplish his good work. So the relationship that Paul is bringing to our minds in Philippians chapter 2 is this, that our work flows out of God's work in us. Our work flows out of what God is already doing in us. And so our work is this, let out what God is doing. To let out what God is doing. To be reverent that God is doing something in you. To be sensitive to the work that God is doing in you and to let out what he's doing. Well, how do we do that? And so let's keep pushing into this. How do we do that? Isaiah gives us this picture of a tree, a tree that is planted. 
that grows into this big, beautiful oak for the splendor and display of God's glory. John chapter 15 also gives us this kind of growth, this agricultural image and metaphor as Jesus begins to talk about vines and branches. Let me show you this. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we let out what God is working in us? And the idea is to be reverent and to be sensitive. And if we added John 15 to this, it's to remain or, or the word abide. So we're supposed to remain, we're supposed to abide. Abide is this, it is to continually center our heart and our affections on the person and work of Christ. To abide, it's, the word, it's, it's where we get the word abode or home. What Jesus is saying is, make your home in me. Make your home in me. Center your hearts and affections on me, the person and work of Christ. God's job is to produce the fruit. And this is what Jesus is offering us in this relationship between the branches and the vine, that where does the, where's the power and the energy to produce the fruit? Where does it come from? Well, we know this because if you take the branch and cut it from the vine, remove it, the branch doesn't have any life in and of itself. It's the vine has the life. The vine is the one that's pushing the energy. The vine is the one pushing the nutrients and the life forward. And so what you see, because the branch doesn't stay connected, if it doesn't stay connected, it doesn't produce anything. So we see that Jesus is saying the life is in the vine. And then he says, I am the vine. Jesus uses that very illustration and says, it's me. In Jesus' day, um, when a new vine for grapes was planted, it would be planted and it would be cultivated for three years before it was um, allowed to produce fruit, to bear fruit. The branches would be cut back every year until after the third year. And then after the third year, the branches were then strong enough, able to carry the weight of the grapes. And so then they were allowed to bear fruit. But here's Here's the dynamic there. There's nothing more natural, more normal than a branch bearing fruit. It's what it was made for, to display the life and the energy and the fruitfulness of the vine. And this is what Jesus is saying. I am the vine. If you'll be reverent, if you'll be sensitive, if you'll be aware of me, if you'll remain, make your home in, there is life that I am going to push through you in the most natural, the most normal way. Your life will be productive. Your life will grow. Your life will become. But the caution in this John 15, 5 passage is this, is that we could actually live a life disconnected from Jesus that is unfruitful, that isn't productive, that you could be incredibly busy but barren. That, that's, that's the warning here, that your life and my life could be about all kinds of things, that we could be doing lots of things, but none of them coming from this deeper place, a place that truly matters. Matthew chapter 7 highlighted this for us. We talked about this last week, that Jesus would say there'll be people at some point that will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? In other words, didn't we do all kinds of things in your name? And Jesus says, but I don't know you. There's this idea of doing, of what we think we need to be doing versus this connection, this being, this knowing of Jesus that truly is the thing that produces, that truly is the thing that makes the change. 
The warning is that our lives could have lots of activity, but little fruitfulness. We've all had this experience at some point. For me, it's about two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I've got a long drive ahead of me. I'm still a couple hours away. It's, you know, it's far enough away from lunch that I'm starting to get sleepy. And I'm driving down the road and you can feel yourself start to kind of wane a little bit and kind of lose focus. So maybe you do this too. You stop, you get something to drink, a five-hour energy. You know, you, you, you roll the windows down to let the cold air in. You turn up the radio, whatever that is. Because if you're like me, and my, you're alone probably if you're the driver. Even if the car is filled with people, they're on their cell phones, they're watching movies, they're sleeping. Like you're by yourself in this moment. You're like, I got to stay awake. And it even turns into like exercises. Like I try to pull the steering wheel apart and put it back together. Like I, am, I mean, I'm trying to, like whatever I can do. Eventually what happens is I, you, you just, you nod. There's that moment where you nod and you kick up some gravel off the shoulder or you pull back in and adrenaline shoots through your body in that moment. And you're like, oh, you're wide awake. But in that moment of like this being awake, wide awake, you also had this, recollection that you cannot remember the last mile. You don't know how many stoplights you went through. You don't know if you stopped or not. You don't know who you passed, who passed you. There's this moment of kind of being really alert that brings to mind that you haven't been paying attention up to this point. And, and this is the concern that Jesus is saying is that if you're not sensitive to the work of God in you, to will and to act, giving you the desires. If you're not sensitive to what God is doing in you and unaware of that, not only will you be unaware of God in you, but you'll be unaware of God in others. Like you'll be busy, you'll be doing lots of things, but you won't have that sense of what's truly deep, what's truly connected to Jesus, the life of the vine coming through you. And Jesus says, I want you to do this. Be reverent, be sensitive, make your home in me. Abide in me, remain close to me. John 15 says there's this simple and natural relationship that if we center our hearts and our affections on Jesus, your life will produce. If you will center your heart and your affections on Jesus, your life will naturally produce. As the, brine, as the, as the, the vine and the branches stay connected, the vine will push the life through, the energy to, the resources through. We hear that Philippians 2, that God is in you to will and act to accomplish his will. So if God is working in you, giving you the will and the desire and the abilities, then what are we to do? And again, to be sensitive, to be aware, to abide. I am... Um, I had this moment a little while back as a staff, we were reading a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. And, and in this book, uh, you get to a certain chapter and it's called The Change Project. And as I read a little bit of it, I, I started to just make a list of all the things in my life that I wish were different. All the things in my life I wish God would change. And it was easy to, to kind of get that list going. Maybe you have a list kind of like that too. But I was just like, well, I would love to be a better husband. There's lots of things that I would love to do in relationship to my wife, Jennifer, of how I live with her and how our marriage is working out. I'd love to be a better dad. I'd love for my kids to kind of know me different, you know, kind of know the, 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 the God lover, the Christian in me and, you know, set a good example for them. And I, I would love to be different at work. I'd love to have my friendships and God, can you help me in this area? I know that there's some weak spots in here that I can see right now. I'd love to have a deeper devotional life. 
Like, I just don't journal. I should journal. I've got three or four journals. I start a page on them, and then, then they sit on the book stand. I'd love to have a longer, quiet time, too. And I'd like to work with, you know, people that are probably more impoverished and in crisis. And I don't know if I have enough of those friends and relationships of where I'm really kind of entering into real difficulty and struggle and trying to be helpful and hopeful. And I'd like to introduce Jesus into the conversation more with people at lunch. Like, I, don't, I know I don't share my faith enough. Like, I'm making this list. And by the end of it, I kind of have all these things I want God to change in my life. And I am frustrated, unmotivated, feel like, oh, I've always had this list. This list has always been kind of out there before me, and I'm looking at this list of all these things I'd like God to change in me to be that ideal Christian that I wish I was, and I'm, I feel burdened by this list. And so I, I shared that with CJ, our discipleship pastor, and he goes, I don't, I don't think you understand the, the project. It's like, well, help me understand, because I don't really want to do this anymore. It's pretty frustrating. He says, the, the project is this. It's, it's not coming up with all the things that you wish were different and all the weaknesses of your life that you wish they were strengths. The project is, where's God working in you? I'm like, well, that's, that's a different, that's different. I don't, what do you mean? The idea around the project is God is already active in your life. Where? Do you know what God is doing in you? And if you become aware of that, then the move on your part is to join him in that, to surrender to that, to pray for that, to lean into that. I said, well, I could, I could tell you what I felt God say to me this week already about a particular circumstance and interaction with somebody. And he goes, that, that's where you begin. It's not this creating a long list of all the things that you wish were different about your life. It's learning how to listen. It's moving from a list to listening. Because the truth is this, all those weaknesses that I would like to change about my life and you might like to change about your life, God may not be interested in those. Because if those weaknesses actually make you humble, if those weaknesses actually make you more dependent upon Jesus, why would he change those things? And so the idea is not you and I fabricating the perfect and ideal Christian and wishing we could be that and asking God to do that. The idea is like, God, what are you doing in me right now? I believe that you are working in me, that there is a desire that you're cultivating in me, that there are abilities that you're cultivating to accomplish your will. What is that? What are the things that I want to... So I'm asking God, what are you up to? Listen, we aren't changing ourselves. We are stewarding the work of God in us, creating space where we can be aware of what the Spirit is trying to accomplish, of the good work that God is already doing. Now, this is a, a, this is a very different way for some of you to be thinking of this list of all the things that you need to be doing better to make God happy or to grow or to become the Christian that you want to become versus saying, God, what are you doing and how can I join you there? God, what are you trying to make me aware of? It's this idea that we create space so that we can encounter God in the places where we need him most. That our lives are not just busy and barren. Isaiah 43, 19 highlights this very thought. It says, behold, God's saying, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth Will you not be aware of it? 
I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's saying, I am doing something here. I'm doing a new thing. Will you see it? Will you be sensitive to it? Will you be aware of it? Will you be close enough to it? Abide. Make your home. Be with. Be with Jesus. One of these studies that I read recently talks about married couples over time begin to resemble one another. You can go online and check some of these things out. The pictures are pretty funny. That over time, couples begin to look more and more like one another. There's lots of speculation why that's true. And some of it is this, that because these couples share life together, that their facial expressions, their wrinkles, they begin to mirror and mimic one another because they both laughed at the same movie. Uh, They both frowned at the rambunctious child that they raised. Like they begin to have these experiences together. They begin to shape how they look. And the same resemblance that this one researcher studied that he took pictures of couples that were married and then 25 years later took their pictures again. And the ones that resembled each other more were often the marriages that were most happy. You know, the disciples got this same um, uh, kind of uh, characteristic about their lives too. The disciples were moving forward and they would end up in these environments where they were not educated men. They were not men of status, but the people around them would walk away and said, but they had been with Jesus. There was something about their lives and their, their boldness and their character and the way that they expressed themselves that you could say, but they'd been with him. This is what Jesus is saying, that for the vine and the branch to stay connected, if you will be with me, if you'll stay connected to me, aware, sensitive, there are things that will happen in your life naturally. Make your home with Jesus. Center your heart and your affections on him. When I was asking Jennifer to marry me, kind of that week, that build-up week, we were at a summer camp together. And we showed up that Sunday night, and I was going to ask her to marry me on Thursday night. Well, to get from Sunday to Thursday, I didn't realize how difficult that was going to be because I had brought an engagement ring with me to Covenant College in Chattanooga at a middle school and high school event, camp, all week long. And so I'm like, well, what do I do with this thing? So I, I, you know, I hid it in the sock drawer. Like, but I just, over time, I just realized how many kids were in my room and I saw the roommate next to me as a prank. All of his clothes went out the window onto the lawn. I'm like, my sock drawer is not safe. Like, I, I, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got an engagement ring here with me. So I just put it in my pocket and I just carried it around with me all week long. Can I tell you what I didn't know? Like, I, what I didn't see, what I can't remember? I can't remember any of the conversations I had that week. I can't remember even any of the other girls that week. All I can remember is I had an engagement ring in my pocket that I wanted to put on one particular girl's finger. At the end of the week, I called her up on stage on Thursday night and asked her to marry me. This, This work of being with, this work of centering our hearts, affections, centering that on someone else, it's like falling in love. To really love someone and what that begins to do and how that begins to order your life. Listen, you're not going to experience the kind of growth that you were meant for by just not sinning. It, that's not how it works. It's not, 
You don't don't begin to embody the character and image of Christ by focusing on all your imperfections. The way that you move forward in this life with Christ, the way that your life becomes, you grow up into all of those things and you begin to display the glory of God is to fall in love with him. And as you do, all of those other temptations become lesser loves that fall away. None of them match the beauty and the glory and the worth of Jesus. And when you fall in love with him, when you center your heart and your affections on him, that becomes the change. That creates this withness, this making your home in him, that where the life and love and energy of Jesus begin to infuse your life and you begin to display fruit beautifully, naturally, as we're reverent, as we're sensitive, as we remain close. Listen, our, our job, if I can, our part in this is this, is to be aware of what God is doing in you and then to make the most faithful response you can to that. Philippians 2, let me offer you this again. You'll see this word, obedience. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Our growth and our fruitfulness are connected to you and I being aware of the work of God in us and then faithfully responding to the thing that God is doing. That's what it is. Jesus fills out what faithful obedience looks like. He begins to show you this and then you begin to walk out. What is God showing you right now? And what does it look like for me to respond faithfully to that? John 15 highlights this very idea again, but it adds another little layer to it. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Make your home in that love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So here Jesus talks about commands, here about what we're supposed to do. And then he says, keep my commands. And then he actually tells us what the command is. And the command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus says, I love you. Now remain there. Make your home in that love. Make the most faithful response to what I'm doing in you, which will look like loving others and loving God more deeply. Our obedience always does. That faithful response to whatever God is showing you, whatever God is revealing you, will always look like a deeper expression of love towards God and towards others. That's our part. Let out what God is doing in you. Center your heart and your affections on him. What God begins to show you, make the most faithful response you can to what he's telling you. And don't be surprised because it's going to be an expression of deep love towards God and towards others. That's your part. It's simple. And yet it is so profound. It's not about making lists, but about listening about being sensitive, 
about being with, about centering our hearts on him. I love the way Paul, and you see it now, I hope, within this very kind of well-known passage in Galatians 2.20 about Paul's own life. Listen to what he says. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying? That God's power is at work in him, not from him, but through him, he says. And his role now is to live faithfully to that work that God is doing in him, to Jesus in him, and to, and to live faithfully within this reality of being deeply loved by Jesus. That's what he's doing. Listen, the life of Christ wants to come out of you. It does. To live by the Spirit, to be moved, to respond to what Jesus is doing, to love Jesus more deeply, to live by the Spirit. Each person, that's your part in this way of coming to life, of being an image bearer, of growing up into all those things that God already says about you, to love Jesus deeply and to be aware of what he's doing inside of you. And so I want to just pull back and give you some moment as we just finish up the service to just think about that. And the question is, what is God doing in you? What is he making you more aware of? And as I just want to read some scriptures over you and let you just think for a minute, I know God is going to share some things with you today as we conclude the service to give us a chance to worship too and just to praise him. So would you just prepare yourself for that? Can I just like, just, you may need to change your posture just a little bit, just kind of, you've been listening a lot, receiving a lot, but now I, I want you to kind of listen to what God may be doing in you. And so just to move or to shift for just a moment, to close your eyes, to bow your head, whatever you feel like you need to do, to ask Jesus to wake you up right now and to cut through the noise and busyness and distractions. If you're, if you're anxious, if you find yourself kind of clenched up, just relax and take a few deep breaths and to realize that you are in the presence of God right now. And Jesus is here. The Spirit is here. And I just want you, as we get started here, just to reflect and to pray and, and to discern, to hear God's work on your behalf. Listen to Ezekiel 36. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Listen to God's work of what he's done. God knew, God knew that we couldn't do anything. And so he gave us everything. He's working in you. You have a new heart. As a Christian, what is most true about you is that you are someone deeply loved and who wants to love God back. He's given you a heart for him. 
He's put a spirit in you who will help you and move you. Jesus even said that the spirit of God is a comforter and he will teach you and remind you of everything that Jesus said. So what you need to do is show up. Open your life to him. God, here's my heart. I'm yours. Listen to what Romans 12 reminds us. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from inside out. God, help us to take our every day and place it before you. Let us embrace you, who you are and what you're doing. Help our hearts center on you, our affections on you. This is our part. And this changes everything. Ask Jesus this. What does he want you to see? And what's the most faithful response you can make to what he's showing you? What does he bring into your awareness? What is he showing you? Be ready because that response will be a deep work of love towards God and others. It'll come with a desire to know him more and to praise him and to worship him and to declare his great love and his great worth. So God, as we, I pray, become more aware of you in us, your work in us, be humbled by that, amazed by it. And out of that, give room to just declare again how much we love you, just to center our hearts and our affection on you, to praise you, to worship, to be amazed again at your great love and your great worth. Holy Spirit, continue to just speak to us. What, what do we need to hear this morning? How do we need to respond in faith? And as we begin to worship and sing, I pray that we continue to listen and continue to give thanks for this great, amazing Savior that we have who loves us deeply.